Welcome to the latest edition of the US Lens. I am very much not Ron Insana, who is off making a movie somewhere, but I'm David Brett here to fill the big man's shoes. And with me today is Adam Farstrup, head of multi-asset in the US. Adam, it's good to see you in good person. Good to see you, David, in person. And in the London studio. It's a fantastic place to be. Yeah, it is really good. And how are you enjoying a very Christmassy looking London? Well, I mean, there's the Christmas market upstairs, which is fantastic. Everybody's in a festive mood, despite the strikes, <laughs> despite the lack of uh, rail travel. But here we are. The team is here. We've had a great week of asset allocation meetings, so it's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a bit of a nightmare with all the strikes around. Uh, now, I haven't had a call yet from Ron's agent about being in the movie. Any word for, from you at all? No, I was hoping maybe just to get an invitation to the... Um, to, to the to the opening night, perhaps, right? Maybe a bit of red carpet, something. <laughs> he's, he's gone way above our station now, yes, isn't he? Yes. He's, he's in with the Hollywood elite. Okay, so um, it's great that you're here today because we had the Fed's rate decision last night. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and more broadly about the regime shift we've been seeing over the last few months from central banks and governments and what that might mean for investors. So let's crack on. So the first question is, the Federal Reserve just concluded its December meeting. What were the main takeaways from your point of view? Uh, in a way, the conclusions aren't surprising. From They're not different from what we've been talking about. If you listen to Keith Wade and Johanna Kirkland and Azad Zangana, who've been you know, on these podcasts and putting out videos, I would encourage everybody to, to listen to those because what we've seen out of the Fed is very consistent with that, which is we're still in the fight against inflation. Um, but what you see is the tension in the market where the bond market in particular saying, I think you've got inflation licked for the moment. And so now we're going to start to worry about growth. And so that's uh, the tension that you see in the market. The, the, the bond market has uh, what we call an inverted yield curve, meaning short end near term interest rates are being priced at a higher level than medium and longer term rates. And that's, that's essentially telling you the bond market expects that sometime over the course of the next year, the Fed is going to have to actually deal with a slowdown in growth and cut interest rates. Uh, but what we've seen out of the Fed, and, and this is where kind of you, you, you get the push and pull in markets, is the Fed saying, this is not enough, right? We have had two soft CPI prints now. So I do think we can confidently say we're past peak inflation, but the Fed wants to be sure that we're really past inflation. And, you know, every time I've been on the podcast this year, Ron and I have talked about, um, you know, what's in the Fed's head and particularly what's in Chair Powell's head. And he goes back to what happened in the 1970s and the lesson the Fed took, which was we cut too early. So that's why you've seen the Fed say, we're still going to push that terminal rate higher to make sure that we've really dealt with inflation. And so that's where the market is going to be testing the Fed, looking at to see what the Fed's guidance is as we go through the next couple of months. Okay. So just to put some meat on the bones there. So the Fed last night increased rates by 0.5%. So between the 4.25 and the 4.5% mark. Uh, but that's slightly slower than the pace that had been for uh, previous meetings, yep. where it was 0.75%. And now I'm just going to fire some uh, stats at you. This comes at a time, uh, despite some headlines, uh, that the job market is running hot. 1.7 jobs apparently available for every unemployed worker in the US. Wages are rising. Hourly wages in November were up 5.5% 
year on year. Inflation is still above 7%. Consumer spending is resurgent and savings are still high. 1.7 trillion, apparently, for the whole of the US. That's $5,000 per person. So why do you think the Fed has chosen now to slow and not keep at the same rate it was beforehand? It's because the Fed recognizes that there, that monetary policy works with a lag. And so you're right. The data that we're seeing coming out still looks resilient, but you're starting to see the cracks. So that 1.7 jobs per available worker is down from where we were three months ago. And so when the Fed looks at where they are on interest rates, they now believe they're no longer in an accommodative position. They do. They have told us they're going to get tighter, but they don't need to have the rate of aggressive hikes. Because remember, what we've seen is um, a series of, of very high interest rate hikes, really unprecedented just about in its speed. Certainly in modern times, we haven't seen this speed of increase in rates. So the Fed, and this is where I think the market is struggling because the Fed is not pivoting in a classic sense. They're not ready to cut rates. What they're saying is we can slow the pace of tightening as we watch to see these long and variable lags impact the economy. And the question of employment, we think, is one of the crucial questions. The problem is these statistics are very backward looking. And so it may be well after the fact, by the time we see that employment figure come down, where the economy is actually really in a much softer place. If you listen to what Keith Wade has said, we need a very significant slowdown on the order of 3 to 4% of GDP decline uh, in the U.S. to really um, take the inflation pressure out of the market. What on the investment desk we're sort of struggling with is the idea that you've seen a decline in the workforce at the same time. This is the demographics piece we talk about a little bit within the regime shift, which is there's a scarcity of workers. And that doesn't change overnight. And so it may be that we find the, the hard part for the Fed in, in policymaking and what the markets are struggling with is how long will it take in this environment to see that reaction in the employment market? You did mention it uh, just a few, few minutes ago, just talking about the um, inflation effect in the 70s and the 80s and the concern around that. That was very much a concern only a few months ago. Yes. The Fed expects the cycle to peak around 5.1% in mid-2023. Yes. So are we now saying that we're no longer concerned about what happened in the 1780s <laughs> might repeat itself or has anything changed? Um, yeah. So I think all along we've been looking to the 1970s and 80s as, as a prior because we don't have a lot of periods of very high inflation in the U.S., and I think we've been very clear that this is not the 1970s repeating itself. There's a, there's a lot of conditions that are different from the 1970s. You don't have the same degree of unionization in the workforce. You don't have actually the same degree of energy intensity in the workforce. And so, and I think the other piece has been that part of the inflation problem really has been this extraordinary impact that COVID had on the global economy and on supply chains in particular. And then you add on to it a war in Europe causing energy prices to go even further. And so what does that mean for, are we concerned about inflation anymore? Uh, we think that the, the part of inflation that was goods driven from supply chain problems uh, and the near-term energy price inflation is clearly cooling pretty rapidly. What's still lagging is the wages and the service sector side of things. What was interesting in this inflation report is it does appear that rents are already beginning to soften. That's one of the stickier parts of inflation. So 
ultimately, what am I saying? There's a there's a big piece of the inflation part that ha- is past its peak, and we do expect to come down. But it may take through 2023 of the Fed not being accommodative to really get the long-term inflation where they want it to be. What we then become concerned, so you have that as the near-term cycle. What you then have to think about from a strategic perspective is what are the pressures on the Fed? And the pressures on the Fed are that we still have the shortage of workers. We still have the effects of decarbonization and deglobalization, which all combined in the period in this kind of 40 years of the great moderation that we had from the 1980s till now to really support a, a one way trade in interest rates over the long term. And we think that condition is changing. We still haven't seen China fully come out of its COVID restrictions. Is there any concern that once they do, that will add another impetus to the inflation problem? So there is concern that it will add an impetus to the inflation problem around potentially demand for commodities, demand for energy. But the flip side of it is it actually may inject some needed growth back into the economy. So as the US and Europe are facing a slowdown, you know, we have actually seen a shift in China now. So up until this point, every time this year we've talked about China reopening, it's been us trying to guess when they were going to reopen. Now they are reopening. Now, that doesn't mean it will be a straight line. Um, we know that even if the Chinese authorities put no restrictions in place, we're going to see a wave of infections. It's why they've stopped counting the infections, which is what we've done in the US and the UK when we went through our reopening, because we just accepted that the infections are going to happen. But we also know that during that, you get periods where people self-limit. You know, either because they're sick, they can't get medicine, the hospitals are full, they're just concerned about getting sick. So it won't be a straight line. But what the markets will, we think, will do is look through that and say, China is now on a path where they're going to be re-engaging economically into the global economy. And so that should, to your question about inflation, that should help with supply chains. So you've had a lot of kind of nearshoring and onshoring movements in supply chains, but China is still very crucial in that. And so that should improve the consistency of productivity out of China. Then the counterforce is what's the impact of their growth. But in a world where growth is soft, that may not be a problem. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Yeah, and you were talking about potentially issues with growth next year. If the Fed has got it wrong and they've slowed now and then have to accelerate next year because inflation is still going up, are investment desks concerned about that scenario? Uh, investment desks are concerned about that scenario and the Fed is concerned about that scenario because you know, if, if they were to pivot too soon, right, you can imagine that actually that eases financial conditions greatly. right? So you'd see the 10-year continue to come back Remember, in the U.S., mortgages are priced off the 10-year. So we've already seen mortgage rates come down from their peaks. And while they're very high compared to the recent past, they're not high versus history. So if they continue to come down, you know, that could sort of reignite some animal spirits within the housing market. I think that's unlikely, but that's the, the kinds of risks you'd worry about. And so on an investment desk, you worry that the markets take that very positively, Markets can really run hard to the upside. People feel caught off sides. They have to close any shorts or underweight risk that they have. And then some point later in the year, the Fed says, actually, you got to step on the brake again. And that could be a, a, a really 
difficult scenario. Yeah, something for investors to look out for. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it earlier, regime shift. Uh, we've been for a very long time now, in the last 40 years, where we've markets um, and everyone else thinking that, look, governments, central banks are going to step in here and save us if things get desperate. Over the last few months, we've seen it in the UK with the gilt markets, central banks have been a little bit more reticent to step in and obviously with rates going up. Yeah. Are we actually seeing a shift now where central banks are now more worried about the inflation side of things and governments as well, rather than stepping in and doing whatever it takes to save markets? I think so. Uh, and, and we've done, the team has done a huge amount of work to, to analyze this. And so we go back to, there are structural forces in the economy that create that inflation pressure. We just talked about some of those. And the Fed in particular has been very, very clear uh, and Chair Powell has said repeatedly that price stability is the thing that everything rests on. And so, and and we know that, you know, the ECB does not have a dual mandate. Their mandate is inflation. So in a world where inflation is the problem, the central banks are going to withdraw that liquidity, we believe. I think it's going to be a much higher hurdle for them to re-intervene. In fact, the Fed has talked about if we have market dislocations and crises where in the past we might have just taken out the bazooka to throw money at the situation, which is liquidity, which the markets have been really driven by since the financial crisis in 2008, we're going to try to deploy much more surgical tools to deal with those problems right? in the, in the corners of the market where they are. So we think the, the ultimately central bank reaction function is now focused on controlling inflation first and foremost. And so that, you know, you hear it talked about as the end of the Fed put, it's not that they will never step in, but I think this is part of, again, what you see with the volatility of the market is them hoping that the Fed's going to suddenly turn around and pump liquidity back into the market. And there's a lot of implications to that change in the way central banks think. We think it means you're going to have higher interest rates uh, on average over the coming years. And that doesn't mean you won't have cycles. We won't go there in a straight line. But on average, people are going to have to get used to the idea that money is no longer free. Because they want a positive real rate, right? The difference between the interest rate and inflation, they want it to be positive. It's been negative for a long time. Uh, and that means that how assets are priced could have some, some pretty significant um, shifts in the way investors think about this. Because you're not being driven by liquidity any longer. And we don't think that those mispricings get, you know, get resolved over a six-month time horizon. We think it takes a while for the market to really get its head around what should I pay for a given level of earnings growth? What should I pay for uh, a risky asset when, you know, right now in my in my online savings account in the U.S., uh, you know, I'm getting 3.7% yield on my savings account. Now, I won't get that from the high street banks, right? But I will get that in my online account. And the... Short-term, high-quality fixed income has yields in that neighborhood as well. So when that is your option as an investor, you can suddenly look at the rest of your portfolio very differently in terms of the kinds of risks that you take and what you're willing to pay for that. So I was going to say, if we're already talking about it, have we seen any shifts in the market to reflect that sort of thinking? Or are we looking a bit further down the line? I think you've already seen shifts in the, in the fixed income markets very significantly so. And there's some, some very interesting yields on offer in fixed income. And equity markets are still struggling with this a little bit. You've seen it in the sell-off in the, in, in the tech market. 
you, you've seen it in the sell-off in any of the sort of speculative corners of the market, where I think that's the first wave of people coming out of it. But we think there's going to be a lot of realignments for investors to work through. So, um, you know, and, and, and because you have mispricing because of the downdraft that we've had over the past year, as investors, it's not that we think 2023 is going to be an easy year. They never are easy years. It's going to be a very difficult year. But compared to where we were a year ago, you think, I can allocate parts of my portfolio to places that feel much safer than they were in the past, and I can at least get the yield off that part of the portfolio. And then I can look at where do I re-engage with equity risk. So we, you know, when we look at sort of the equity markets, we don't think you have to be as underweight anymore in equity markets. Now, there's this still balance point. We could have a period of weakness if the market really begins to focus on uh, recession risk. And our baseline forecast is for a recession in the U.S. in 2023. But if the recession's maybe not as bad or it's a bit delayed, you know, there's some pockets of the equity market that look potentially interesting. Even if you have that recession, you have parts of the market that have reflected some pretty negative outlooks already where it's priced into the market. And as an investor, you're looking for where is that risk already priced in and I can take advantage of it. So if you look along the emerging markets axis, for example, especially now that China appears to be reopening, their central banks are much further along kind of the normalization trade. Frankly, many parts of the emerging markets are used to dealing with high inflation. You look at that and think investors who are underweight in that space may want to take a new look into spaces like that. 2022 was a roller coaster. Maybe 2023 won't be so volatile, but it still sounds it'll be a really interesting space for investors. Yeah. Adam Farsworth, thank you very much for joining us. Head of Multi-Asset, thank you for being in London as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, so th that's the last edition of the US Lens for 2022. There will be one final investor download next Tuesday, December the 20th, when we'll be speaking to Johanna Kirkland Schroeder's Group CIO and Keith Way, Chief Economist, about what we expect the themes to be for 2023. Uh, so keep an eye out for that one. Until then, have a great week. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.